everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 49, Royal Ascot Day 3 Preview. Big Chiltonians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. Guys, how have the first two days of Royal Ascot treated you? Um, all right. I mean, we've had a few. Win- we've tipped up a few winners. We've had a few winners. I, it's not quite the same experience as being there, so that's been the downer. Especially as today, I was actually in the office, so that was even less enjoyable than the day before. But yeah, not not too bad. Yeah, it's been okay. Racing's been tough though, so really competitive races, which has made it harder. But I'm I'm still battling. I'm about parity, money wise, so I can't argue too much with that. Wow, what an endorsement for yeah, the listeners! What to, an amazing to listeners to follow your tips for tomorrow. I'm at I'm at about parity. I mean, it is true. It's not terrible, but still, yeah. Did- Day one was good. Day two was a little rougher, but also made rougher by the fact I had to watch the races by myself like I'm Stephen fucking Glansberg over here. Everyone else is too busy to jump on a Zoom and watch watch some races with a friend. <laughs> yeah, the reference no is the reference is. It's super it's from super bad. I gotta eat lunch oh, by myself okay. like I'm fucking Steven Glansberg over there. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a deep cut. Um now. <laughs> One person who probably does eat lunch by himself, but also doesn't have to worry about his ascot bet performances. We, in the past, we've you know got pretty involved in Reddit. We got involved in the GameStop, uh, you know, stock market Reddit before. We've been really into uh, some petitions before. I always find it funny when we can find good ones. And all of our worlds are kind of combining as uh, there is a petition taking off on Reddit. It's a change.org petition started by some Redditor, and it is that it's trying to, they've already reached their goal, which was 7,500 signatures, to get uh, Jeff Bezos to buy the Mona Lisa and eat it. (laughs) Yeah, that's the petition. People are signing up. There's the comments on it. It's like, I can't live in a world anymore where Jeff, Jeff Bezos hasn't eaten the Mona Lisa yet. It's like it's just it's just a series of comments. I saw one. I saw another one recently where it's like to when Bezos goes into space to not allow him to re-enter. <laughs> but I, I, was... I mean, I don't get the Mona Lisa one. Like I, I don't, I don't understand. I just think they, I just, is there any backstory? No, I just think they think of it as like the ultimate way to flaunt his wealth would be to yeah. buy a piece of fine artwork and then just like sit down with a knife and fork. Well, and I would, like, that's what I was going to say. Would it be in like a sandwich or a knife and fork or would he just haul it into his mouth? Well, I mean, it's inedible, right? Because you're talking about several <laughs> hundred year old paint. But Oh, God. Um, and I, But so I don't know. He'd have to like... I, have it cut up and sort of put into different things, I guess, which would be less exciting to watch if you were just like, trust me, there's some Mona Lisa in this panini. But, um, it sounds like code words or something. Yeah. 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 The geese are flying low tonight. So just looking at estimates, it, it says that the Mona Lisa is worth about 850 million. 
I mean, that's nothing for him. That just seems <laughs> cheap. Just Kinda, like a really yeah, nice right. Kobe given, burger. Given the fact, given given how NFTs and stuff are selling, would you rather buy a bunch of those NFTs or the Mona Lisa? I think I'd rather have the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Even if it isn't the most impressive artwork I've ever seen, but still. Yeah. At least it's quite small, right? He'd have that going for him. Yeah, he maybe can just fold it up really tight and then just swallow it whole. <laughs> Lodge it into his esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a pelican. The use of language there as well. <laughs> Does he have to eat the frame? That would be the the killer, right? No, no, that will that literally probably him. be the killer. That would be. The <laughs> well, I, I think I think it would all probably kill him. In fairness, I think if he actually ate the entire Mona Lisa, I think he'd probably die. But no, I, I mean, I didn't start this petition right, but I doubt the guy is imagining that he'll eat the frame as well. But the internet is a is a wonderful place. Would you rather have it in a sandwich or in a taco? Well, it would be a lot in a taco. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of taco. Uh, how about like a burrito then? Mm, a I'd sandwich or a burrito? A sandwich because I'd want thicker bread. Yeah, because you need to you need the the texture of the bread to disguise the texture of the painting. So I'd want like really <laughs> thick. I'd want like a rustic loaf sandwich. You've thought about this. <laughs> I mean, I haven't. <laughs> I can promise you, no, I haven't. Aside from my brain just works incredibly quickly. Yeah. No, a good sandwich. I mean, it's on canvas. Then, yeah, like, the... how do you how do you chew through canvas? <laughs> oh no, you can't. This isn't this isn't a practical. Uh, I mean, he's not going to do it. And they also set the target really low, seven and a half thousand. Like. He's not going to be, oh, wow, 7,500 assholes on the internet want me to eat the Mona Lisa. I better call my, <laughs> I better call up my art dealer. Yeah. And I guess just uh, one or two other little pit, bits of housekeeping, I suppose, before we move on to our day three Royal Ascot tips. Little, since the, uh, Frank was so positive in his praise of the Phoenix Suns. And so, so positive in his praise of Sam and was so pleased to tell him that the, the suns had swept. And then what do you know? Chris Paul goes and tests positive for COVID or has a contact <laughs> case. It's unclear what's happened, but now may miss the next series <laughs> just out for an indefinite period of time. So well done, Frank. That's a mini Duke of curse for you. <laughs> so my curse is just housekeeping. <laughs> that, yeah, that, and also I just thought it was interesting that our, our Nautovich, the, uh, was suspended for a match after his insults that he directed towards the North Macedonians after he scored against them on uh, on Sunday. So for context for people, Arnautovic is a player who plays for for uh, Switzerland. He came off the bench, Austria even, sorry. <laughs> Whoops. He came off the bench against, uh, against North Macedonia and scored a goal in Austria's 3-1 win over North Macedonia on Sunday. And then produced a very angry celebration during which he also supposedly threw out several ethnic or racial slurs. Um, and he has since apologized. I did like his apology, which he's, which, which was like, I'm really sorry. I re and he like all caps, uh, I apologize. It was like a tweet that he did, but he was, and then it all caps like, I am in no way racist. <laughs> it was just like, okay, that's because of course you would admit to it if you were. <laughs> 
I, might I am racist in all caps, but, uh, but only against fucking North Macedonians. And he then he also included some weird statement. It was something like, "I have North Macedonian and Albanian friends. I have oh, friends no. from almost every country in the world." Was one of his other statements. Wow, which, that's actually a badge of honor. I would like him. Like... I would like him to produce. I would like to see a list of how many of the world's countries he covers as legitimate friends, not. Yeah, I played football against this guy once, and he was from Somalia. I want like a full list and see actually how far he can get. You could have like a like you know the old school photos or team photos where you could get each of those people for like a photo, one person from every country in the world, and they have to declare that they are his friend, not just an acquaintance. That they are genuinely friends. Just flown (laughs) someone in from like Micronesia. (laughs) Like I don't know him. But yeah, no, interesting. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a blow to Austria for him to be to have been suspended for one for one game. But uh, and so the background, the backstory, obviously, is that he has Serbian heritage. So a little bit of bad blood between the Serbians and some of the other uh, ethnic groups in the region, and it uh, came out on Sunday. It's just like weird. It was like the you know when the just uh, Justin Thomas came out and shouted that kind of homophobic slur well, as he well. didn't shout it let's get give... no <laughs> he didn't he didn't miss a butt and then be like <laughs> just screaming it towards the gallery <laughs> i forgot my initial point now but it's just the idea like in a football match in public you do something so vocally obvious yeah that it's mean, going it's to be insane. problematic it's, also he'd scored so it's, it's, yeah, it's a happy it, thing i, like, kind of I know it. what i need to do i need you to ruin north macedonians yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've come off the bench. I've scored in the Euros. I give my team a 3-1 lead. We're definitely getting the three points. I fucking hate you all so much. Oh my God, I hate you and your ancestors. <laughs> but no. Yeah. And then uh, we obviously, in the last episode, we discussed that Cristiano Ronaldo was in a position to uh, become the first player to have scored. Or I guess we discussed this, we updated on this in the last episode. I can't even remember. No, we didn't. No, the hung, the Portugal Hungary match was a, was after. Yeah. So yeah, Ronaldo scored two goals. He is now the top goal scorer in the history of European of the European Championships finals. He's also the first man to score in five European Championships. He was only he was already as we said the first man to have scored in four. So pretty impressive. He's also closing in on the record for most number of goals in international men's football. I think he's something like four or five goals off the total. I can't remember exactly. I think it's 107 he's chasing. He's at like 103 now. Or no, maybe he has 107 now. But anyway, likely to break that record. So pretty impressive overall. I did like, I saw a stat because I don't really like XG. It's for Frank, for context. You may have seen it in different places, but it's, it's basically like how they, it's one of these like next gen stats they've brought into football, which basically assesses how many goal scoring chances you have over the course of a match so you'll get like an xg rating at the end of the game which will say 1.36 which means basically on a team with your chances should have scored 1.36 goals in that game if you see what i mean got it you can see if you out outperform or underperform your expected goals which is what the xg stands for i saw that (laughs) after his match yesterday uh if ronaldo was a country just in his performance against hungary he would have um he would have had a higher XG rating than 19 of the 22 nations that had already played a match in the Euros up until that point. 
That's crazy. How many euros do you think he has left? None. <laughs> really? <laughs> he's pretty old. The, he's the pretty remaining old. amount of games in this one. Yeah, he's pretty old. I mean, I guess the you don't think the, the you don't think thing. he makes the next one in three years. That's three years away. I mean, what is he? Thirty-seven now. He looks like he's twenty-five. That doesn't help, though. <laughs> the football <laughs> quality. <laughs> oh, but he looks younger than 40. <laughs> it's like, oh, bring him along then. No, I think this is his last one. He's I think 36. at some point there will be. So 39. He'll turn, 30, he'll turn 37 in February. So, yeah, he'll be, he would be 39 at the next European Championships. That at some would point be impressive. You have to see like a, yeah, that would be really impressive. But you have to see a drop-off at some point, don't you? because of the age because he is kind of defying that at the moment maybe not hey and we also discussed uh, ronaldo moving the coke away you don't know if you saw that uh, pogba followed suit by moving the heineken away after in his press conference i mean not that ronaldo was the first player to ever do something like that but it was interesting to see i don't get it right because it's not their sponsorship like they like i do get the fact that you know that those companies could then use you in promotion, not directly, but that it kind of does seem like a sort of tacit endorsement. You know, you see Ronaldo sitting in front of a couple of Coke bottles, and if he never takes, you know, views his body as such a temple and never drinks a Coke, then it kind of does make it seem like, well, I guess Cristiano Ronaldo might drink Coke. But simultaneously, it's not like the tournament is going to go to like one of their individual sponsors, you know, like Pogba sponsored by Nike or whatever, and be like, I'm just going to take away that band that you're wearing because of your sponsorship obligations, just to let you know. Like, they would have a problem with that, wouldn't they? Well, it's like, who was it? Who was it? uh, Was it Dembaba or was it Cisse at Newcastle who wouldn't wear the shirt with the gambling sponsor on it? One of them wouldn't. Oh. One of them for a season, right, or for a for a, for a while, didn't have the gambling sponsor on it. I, I I get it. I think if you have, particularly like that, that's a religious thing. I I, I understand. Um, but I don't know. Not, not Coke. Did you see uh, after he did that, the market value for Coca Cola dropped from two forty two billion to two hundred thirty eight billion. They lost four billion dollars in market value when he moved the. Coke bottle, <laughs> which is the interesting debate. I mean, the fact that that happened is quite is crazy. But because the other argument you could make is that he gave them more advertising by moving the Coke. If you see what I mean, because like, and everyone got to see this clip of Ronaldo moving a Coke bottle. Same with Pogba. Everyone then sees him moving a Heineken bottle. Whereas you might not have even noticed the fact that there was a Heineken bottle sitting in front of him otherwise. But yeah, I guess you know people love Ronaldo, and if Ronaldo doesn't drink Coke. The people don't drink Coke. But on that note, should we, you know, in the same way that the world follows Ronaldo, our listeners follow our advice when it comes to horse racing. So should we move on to our Royal Ascot Day 3 tips? Let's do it. Tough day of racing. Yes, and it kicks off with a tough race. The Norfolk Stakes, a group two over five furlongs. Very open. You have Catamosto as the five to one favorite. Lucci at six, at five to one as well. Instinctive move at fifteen to two. Project Dante at eight to one. Go Bears go ten to one. Yeah. Also considering the fact that I don't think it's that good a quality race for a group two. When you look at most of the ratings for the horses, they're in the kind of nineties. It's not 
I think it's a little bit shorter quality yeah. as well. Well, it's tough too because a lot are just first time out maiden winners. So this is yeah, one of those ones which you is, might have we've to just, wait a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed this, right, for a number of the other races. You, you go into these these ones and, and, you know, you maybe have one piece of form. If you're lucky, you might have two pieces of form. And then you just have to say, well, was the... And we saw it today, right, where you had... Um, you know, some horses that had a di- that bounce back from their disappointing sort of second or third performance to storm home and win, or you have horses that have won one or two and then they get to Royal Ascot and they're not quite good enough. Yeah, and and I think maybe before we start to another big talking point for this day is going to be the weather, because I think it's already started to rain at Ascot and there's a good amount of rain on the forecast so you could see the ground shift from good to firm all the way maybe to good to soft so even maybe to soft depending on yeah. how much you get so that's going to change yeah. a lot of stuff because you know especially i feel like ascot is one of those courses you know you have those soft specialists come in like uh a dayab is known for winning at ascot in that soft ground so something you kind of have to look out for a little bit yeah for sure, it's going to um, it's going to change and, and things then, up. Yeah, and in a couple of the races later on, definitely going to play potentially more of a more of a role. But for this race, I guess I'll I, I find it hard to separate a few at the top of the market just because you're looking at a single performance and the fact that uh, you know how do you really break down which one of them you think can take the bigger step forward? So because I kind of in my assessment. Throwing out the Wesley Ward horses because I just don't know even how to <laughs> how to make that assessment on the two Wesley Ward horses, and I am going to go for Go Go Bears Go, who at ten to one I think was you know a relatively expensive purchase was impressive first time out, and so if I'm going to sort of gamble a little bit on you know one of the on which one can take a step forward, I'd rather do that at ten to one than say at the five to one at the top of the market especially from an each way perspective. So, you know, out of Cody bear. So, you know, it's not got some sort of really obscure lineage. So that's always a good sign. You're right about the Wesley Warts. Uh, after the first couple of days, it's, uh, it's pretty tough to kind of take that to look further into Wesley Ward's horses and see any sort of good value coming out of them. Now, after the three duds, three, yeah, Maven. Well, I, Maven wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't call Twilight Gleaming a dud. I mean, it, it it ran a really good second. If you take out that first place winner and Twilight Gleaming oh, wins I didn't know that we race, could do that now. Can we can we do that? I, I'm not, I'm not no, saying no. that. What I'm saying is, if you took that out, <laughs> it still wins by like two lengths. Like you would say that was a good win. You know what I mean? So may, I don't think that was a dud. The, the rest were duds for sure. Dud dud might be a disappointment, but we do also have to factor in it was still quite a heavy favorite, relatively speaking, to that race. So to not justify that favoritism by winning, yes, it was a good performance, not a, you know, a good second, but still, you know, you would have thought, put it this way, overall, his performance has been a flop so far. And that second place doesn't salvage that. No, but what that means is, you know, he's going to get a win somewhere in here. (laughs) It always happens. It's a pretty wide open race. Um, I like, I do like Cadamoste at the top for um, O'Brien, but uh, the horse I want to go for is Andreas Vesalius. So um, it won third time of asking at Navin, so it's only run at Navin. So this is 
this is going in. When I looked at them, it seemed to do, it was a pretty consistent runner. Um, it didn't kind of wow or overperform, but I think it did progress pretty nicely um, in those two races. And it's also come up against uh, Twilight Jet um, and Silver Surfer. So Twilight Jet's in this race. Uh, and Silver Surfer, the form of both of those, they've actually both gone on to win races after losing to Andreas Vesalius. So I think it's held up pretty well, the form in that race. Side out of um, Caravaggio, so built for, completely built for speed as well, which is good. Um, yeah, a pretty wide open race, but I, I like Andreas Vesalius. I think it's looking at about 14s at the moment, maybe. But um, yeah, yeah, that's my pick. All right, Frank. Yeah, I'm going to go with who Sam mentioned first, which was Catamosto. It won really nice on debut. If you watch the race, it it definitely pulls clear in that last furlong. Uh, so it's it's got some speed to it. Out of Nonay Never, so good sprinter. Uh, Arizona was also out of Nonay Never, and Arizona as a two-year-old won the Coventry here. So I, I think overall, O'Brien hasn't had the best Royal Ascot, so eventually the horses kind of have to start turning, I think, and this could be one. You know, he likes to have those two-year-olds that are those monster big two-year-olds that can win these five, six furlong races and then never really progress as three-year-olds. So this could be one of those. You say that, but he had his 75th Royal Ascot winner today. Yeah. So even if his, even if his festival so far has been disappointing, life so far has not been. Um, <laughs> and I guess on that note, we can move on to the Hampton Court Stakes, in which an O'Brien horse is not does not feature towards the top of the market, but it is maybe the race of the day in which the weather and the ground might play the most significant part in that you have Mahafeth at 15 to 8 favorite continuing to drift slightly, basically because the ground is less likely to suit, and there's also the possibility that it is withdrawn after it was withdrawn at Epsom uh, a couple of weeks ago. So... It's clear that Haggis will try to protect it from running on soft ground. Now, you could be, you could maybe say that he was more willing to do so at Epsom on the basis that he knew he'd then have a kind of quick follow-up at Royal Ascot. And so maybe in, this, in, in these circumstances, he will be more likely to leave it in um, because he might have hoped, well, ground isn't ideal here, but hopefully it will be at Royal Ascot in a couple of weeks, so we may as well wait. Whereas now you might think, let's try it out and hope that it, it sort of surprises us. But uh, you then have move in time at 11 to 4, one ruler at 11 to 2, Roman Empire at 9 to 1, and uh, the Rastafarian at 12 to 1, and all the rest are 14 to 1 or bigger. I am. I'm a little torn here. Um, I think I'm going to just stick with Mahafeth, hope that it runs, hope, you know, I think it is the best horse in this race, hope that it handles the ground. Also hope that it probably drifts a little bit more, so I think it's probably likely to be two to one or bigger uh, tomorrow, in which case I think you're getting good value for what is clearly the best horse in the race. Yeah. Um obviously haggis has also come out and he said like i know it's expecting to rain i can't do anything about that but as you mentioned he's going to protect the horse um the good thing is it's a second race right so the ground won't be too cut up um it won't be running on some like pretty 
pretty badly cut up areas if it was running maybe in like the fourth fifth sixth race that would be more of a problem so maybe it can get some fresher uh parts of the course to run it a little bit faster but um yeah i, I um you mentioned the derby the interesting thing is we spoke about whether that was a good quality race or perceptions of the derby this is the first horse in one ruler that is going to be running after the derby so it'll be interesting to see how that race looks kind of going forward into the flat season and so it'll be interesting to see what one ruler does um but my pick is Mohafeth as well i picked I, I i was on it for the derby so I, I don't really see why i wouldn't be on it here um it's out of frankel so the one mile um the one mile, I, one, I, one mile two no problem i guess it's worth saying looking into this haggis has come out and said it will definitely run oh, so, so they're confident then. Well, well, his statement, I don't know if it's confident. He said he's obviously, he obviously doesn't want a lot of rain, but he's going to run. I promised Sheikh uh, Hisa he'll run at Ascot anyway. It's just like that. It's typical. Everything's been going well with him. He's in great shape and he's a really lovely horse. We just don't want to see him at his best on loose ground, but how that's how it is. He's still going to have a good race. He's doing very well. Okay, I, I, great. It's running, so it's still my pick. But um, yeah, I I think it's um, the best horse in the race. So. And Haggis came out post uh, Derby, right, and basically said Mohafis would have won the Derby. Yes. So he his confidence. He watched that race and then came away from it saying, "Okay, if if we'd been able to run it, it would have won." Yeah, it was it was pretty high up in the market for the Derby as well. It was like four or five to one. Um, I think only maybe one or two horses like Bolshoi Ballet and a couple, maybe one other was ahead of it in the betting. But um, yeah, I think it would have been a good derby runner. And I think this is a slight, well, we don't know, but in terms of class of race, this is a slight drop down, I think as well. So yep, for me, Mohafeth and, um, uh, but I'll be watching the run of one ruler because it'll be nice to see what the, the derby form looks like for the season. Frank, you're making a clean sweep. Yeah, I was torn between Mohafeth and Move in Time. And especially after today, because Move in Time was a four-length winner to Kamari on its uh, only race this year. And then Kamari came out and won really nicely today. So it has form on good ground, and it's out of Fastnet Rock, which has good form on good ground and soft ground. So Move in Time will definitely like the rain. And that kind of puts it up close to Mahafeth, but the fact the class difference is you guys are completely right. I think Mahafeth is, is a much better horse. So it's just how bad is that ground going to be? How much is it not going to like that ground? And it makes me nervous that it did pull, they did pull it out of the Derby, but I still think it's a class enough above with this group, as opposed to the, those who race in the Derby. So I'm going to go with Mahafeth as well big chill pick yeah maybe that's the big chill nap of the day i suppose we can move on to the ribbles ribbles ribblesdale stakes if i can say it um which is a group two over just under a mile four basically um noon star tops the market at five to two which is an interesting one because it finished uh four length second to snowfall last time out, which means on that basis, it would have won the Oaks by 12 lengths. Uh, if it could just repeat that performance, I suppose. Uh, 
Gloria Mundi is five to one. Second favorite, Ashada is eleven to two. Divinely six to one. Twisted Reality fifteen to two, and all the rest are ten to one or bigger. You know, it's tough. It's nice to see actually a race in which the top of the market there's a different trainer featuring there. I always kind of like that because, as we've discussed in the past, it's it always makes me a bit more uncomfortable when you see sort of multiple O'Brien horses or even occasionally multiple Galston horses sometimes in the mix. Um, at least this time around, it's it's a kind of match between Stout, Gosden, Varian, O'Brien, and Beckett at the top of the market, and and Mark Johnston, I suppose, with the 10 to 1. I, I think you have to, in my opinion, I'm going to have to back Noonstar just on the basis that it finished four lengths behind <laughs> Snowfall, who then produced what will undoubtedly be the performance of the season. And when you then also consider that that was on uh, good to soft, so it clearly won't be put off by the idea that there will be a bit of bit of cut in the ground. And then when you factor in what Snowfall did in you know softer conditions, kind of difficult to get away from it. I mean, yes, there's a possibility we'll never really see Snowfall repeat that performance, and it might be the sort of serpentine of the Oaks, but. Until like until we've seen holes in that form, I've I've just got to assume that this might be a very very good horse that happened to come up against a slightly better very very good horse. Yeah, I I get the logic about Noonstar. It's going to be very interesting to see how that's all holding up and how that plays out as well. But the um, the one I like is right next to it in the betting, um, Eshada. So. Um, I like this horse. I like Jim Crowley as a jockey anyway, so it's always good to see a booking like that. There's always going to be on it. But um, it beat three of the horses in the betting, which I which I like as well, um, in a good Phillies trial at uh, Newmarket. So it beat uh, Gloria Mundy by a neck. Twisted Reality, um, it also beat as well, which is good. But um, it's, a, it's a good... I know it's only like a mile three, mile four this race, but um, it's a good staying horse. It, it just strongly keeps running. So when you're looking three, four out, you're just going to get a good amount from it. It doesn't need to lead from the front or anything like that. It's going to be, um, it's just a nice progressive horse to look at. And um, the ground softening up will be a benefit as it prefers kind of the softer side of good. So um, I like this horse. So um, Ashada's mine. Yeah, this is this is a really tough race. I mean, you have so many of these are so unexposed. Like even Ashada is only raced twice, right? So it's so hard to to get a good feel. I'm going to go down the market a little bit and go for an each way. And I'm going to go with Dubai Fountain. So Dubai Fountain did terribly in the Oaks, but it won the Cheshire Oaks before that. And I always what? feel... <laughs> what? Sorry, what, I know we always picked. Wait, what, what race was that? <laughs> Cheshire, the Cheshire Oaks. There you go. <laughs> um, but it's, I always feel Mark Johnson horses are the ones that once the ground gets soft, they just suddenly start to appear to finish in the top three all the time. And this is one of those horses I think that can definitely do it. It likes the soft ground. Um, it's run well before as a two-year-old that got fourth in the in the Phillies mile at the end of the year against some really good horses. So I, I think that Oaks flop was just a flop. And at 10, 11 to one, I think there's some value in it being able to to hit the frame for sure. Yeah, what you say about Mark Johnson makes sense. Obviously, his horses are always 
primed to have stamina because a he loves having front runners that yeah. try and sort of really push the pace of a race right but also even over longer distances you know that they're they're always going to make the sort of make see out the, the distance so what you're saying yeah and look if you apply that same logic it might mean that you look for another johnston horse in the gold cup which is the Obviously, the highlight of the day, I would suppose, watching to see if Stradivarius can... I guess winning four in a row brings it, because Yates won five? Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it's still obviously well on its way to securing a hell of a legacy. Yeah. Um, and now, obviously, the big question mark. Stradivarius may not is another horse that might not be tremendously suited by there being extra cut in the ground and the rain coming. Also, the big question mark surrounding Stradivarius has always been: Is it a really great horse, or is it just racing against a bunch of in a, in a over a distance in a class of horses that are not really that spectacular? And so it's it's just kind of made hay while the sun shines, both literally and figuratively, I suppose. Now it is drifting slightly. It's now six to five. It was odds on earlier in the week. Uh, Trushan is seven to two second favorite. Who? produced a pretty incredible performance in at Ascot in October on Champions Weekend in soft conditions to, to sort of demolish the field and certainly demolish Stradivarius, who was an absolute mile back in whatever position it ended up finishing, 10th or 12th, or I don't know where it ended up in, by the end of things. You then have Subjectivist. So if you want to, Frank, stick with the Mark Johnston theme, you can do. It's 13-2, third favorite. And then mention Serpentine earlier on it makes its reappearance in the sort of classic races with where it is uh 14 to 1 fourth favorite and you also have spanish mission in there at 16 to 1 santiago another interesting o'brien prospect in at 18 to 1 so i have to admit as much as i have coming into the week i had a tremendous amount of confidence in stradivarius I'm going to very much hope that it wins. It's a horse that I've enjoyed watching. And I think the combination of Stradivarius and Dettori has, has been very good for racing. But I think that Trushan at 7-2 to two maybe can even still get it at 4-1 to one in places. There's just a lot more value there. So with the rain coming... I'm going to be hoping for a Stradivarius win, but I think my money will go elsewhere. It's interesting um, seeing O'Brien's, well, the O'Brien's have so many horses in this race, like Aiden's got three, but they're not really featuring until Serpentine in the market as well. So um, yeah, for me, when I when I looked at this race, you immediately just think Stradivarius. So you, you kind of think, okay, that's a lock. What has everything else done over the course of like the staying season? to challenge it or do you does it feel like it's a problem and for me when i looked into it i kind of thought okay well spanish mission be, beating santiago um you've already mentioned like what subjectivists have done but all things considered i still looked at that kind of performance for um stradivarius and like the cigarro stakes when it just won still on the bridle it still looked really comfortable and i just remember those kind of like emphatic wins that this horse has and so the more I thought about it the more I, I didn't really feel that anything had 
convinced me not to bet on Stradivarius, essentially. I think this will be its hardest race of the Gold Cups. Um, I, I think it's a real depth in field for this one. So it'll be interesting to see how it holds up with the cut in the ground um, and probably a more depth of challenge to it. But yeah. um, for I, me, I, still Stradivarius. I mean, obviously, this, the question marks that are there this year were are the same question marks that were there 12 months ago when it also is racing and soft and people were starting to think, is, is this one year too far? And it obviously demolished that field. Um, but... And you still got, I mean, Nayef Road finished second that day. It's now 80 to 1, I think, in this race. But, um, yeah, as I said, I hope it wins. I just don't know if I'd be confident enough to back it at 6 to 5. Frank, what's your move? Yeah, I, I'm basically exactly on the same boat as you, Eddie. Um, normal conditions, I would side with Stradivarius. And I want to see Stradivarius win, but the the soft weather, I have the soft weather, the soft ground just worries me a little. And Trushan looked really good in the soft ground in October here. And you're right, demolished Stradivarius in that race. And it ran a good comeback race this year to kind of prep for it. So I think it's it's in really good form. And if the ground goes bad, then I think you have to go with Trushen. The only issue is yesterday it was at eight to one and now it's already shifted all the way to four to one. And if the rain keeps coming, it might drop to three to one. So you're kind of, you're losing a lot of value in that, I think, but uh, I'll go Trushen with the idea that it's going to rain a lot. All right. Well, split. Split podcast then. Yeah, uh, did not expect only myself to be going Stradivarius in a way. But I mean, this is that is uh, not often that I say I hope that I'm wrong on a race where I make a selection, but in this one, I really do. Um, and now next up, we've got the uh, Britannia Stakes over a mile. Uh, The market is topped by Mithras at five to one. You have Air to Air at seven to one, and then kind of market gets quite big, quite fast. Very, very difficult. I mean, almost every horse is basically priced between sort of 16 and 22 to 1. So it's easy to make a strong case. It's hard to make a strong case for any of them, and it's easy to poke holes in almost all of them. So I think with that reason, Mithras looked very good until it sort of flopped last time out. Uh, That worries me a bit. And I keep being put off slightly by the fact that Gosden was so negative about his yard coming into Royal Ascot and basically said that Palace Pier was likely his only sort of very good chance of winning a race. I think he's got four winners already. (laughs) Yeah. No, I know. But that's the thing is, and we talk about it, right? Wesley Ward or O'Brien are always super positive. John Gosden is always very negative. I mean, he definitely airs on the side of caution when it comes to making public statements about his horses. So, and that also, that definitely influences the market. Like I am sure tomorrow morning he will talk about Stradivarius and the statements will be, well, it's not ideal. And you know, it's, he's, it's getting a bit old, but wouldn't it be nice to have one last time out at Ascot and no matter what, it's earned its chance to kind of go out there and see if it can defend its title. It will be a sort of very measured, but slightly negative statement. I'm sure. 
and then it might win by 25 lengths and he'll say yeah yeah we we sort of knew um so well, yeah that sounds well, exactly <laughs> like what Gosden would say i just couldn't see it all happening his his but, comments the other day on Stradivarius was that he's very naughtily behaved beforehand and thinks he's in the covering shed, not the race course. So big shout out there. to anyone who knows what he means there. <laughs> yeah, you can you can go twelve months back in our Instagram and you'll you'll find out. But um, yeah, so this in this particular race, I don't know. It's such a tough one. I'm going to go for. I'm going to opt for Royal Pleasure, who is drifting, it has to be said, and that, but has form on soft um, at 16 to 1 as an each-way bet. Good value. Um, it needs to be progressive. This is obviously a pretty big step up. But I think that, uh, you know, the fact that it's a Mark Prescott horse, if it's at Royal Ascot, you expect that it's there for a reason. It's not just to make up the numbers. So I think um, I think that's where that's my selection. Shouldn't be that tough. There's only thirty runners. <laughs> it's I mean it's crazy. This is this is an insanely tough handicap, and um, you, you start to look at things like draw bias and things like that. Um, I what I found really interesting about this race was when I looked at the jockey strike rates. It was crazy in such a big field race to see how successful Jamie Spencer is in this race. So he's had 17 runners, four winners and eight places. Considering this is always a maxed out field handicap, I think that's a seriously impressive strike rate to say that you're getting placed, let alone winning, in 12 of your 17 outings as a jockey in this race. I think that's really good. And just just for note, he rides um, air-to-air, which is high up in the market. I did wonder... Is it high up in the market because of that stat? But when you actually look into where to where, um, since a gilding operation, it's it's actually been really solid in handicapping business. It's got an eight pound rise, but to be honest, a lot of horses that it's uh, run against have gone on to be winners themselves. So an eight pound rise actually, when other horses are looking at eleven pound rises, twelve pound rises, eight pounds doesn't actually seem that unfair on what is a very progressive horse. Um, the only reservation I have about it is the low draw uh, in the handicap. It seems to favor the high, um, but I'll pick the horse that I think is the best for it. So it's it's annoying to go kind of this high up in the market uh, for such a big handicap. But yeah, air to air is currently showing at about seven to one. Don't think the ground going softer will be a problem for it either. Yeah, um, I echo you. You too. This is. A very, very tough race to pick. Uh, I kind of like Dubai Honor, so I figured I'm going Dubai Fountain in the third race. I might as well stick with the Dubai theme and go Dubai Honor, who's currently, I think, about 20 to 1 right now. Uh, Really well-bred Colt. It was doing well last year as a two-year-old, then jumped into handicapped and got fourth into handicapped, but it it had no run of the race. I mean, it was switched about three times. So it might have been a blessing because it only went up one pound for that. So it's still off a relatively good mark coming in as a three-year-old and it's been gelded. So I, I think you have Tom Marquand on, so you have a good booking, you have a good jockey on there for a pretty unexposed horse who's only been one handicap and didn't bump the ratings in that handicap. So at 20 to one, I think there's some value there. Interesting. Well, hopefully one of us has managed to pick a winner in a tough race 
we move on to a slightly easier affair, but not much easier in the uh, King George V stakes, also a handicap over a mile three and a bit. And this is my nap of the day. I've just spent some time saying how Gosden hasn't been positive about his uh, stable and how I've had difficulty trusting him. And now I'm going to make one of his horses my bet of the day. And that is First Light, who is currently five to one second favorite. Uh, it was so striking last time out that for me, it just immediately went into my notebook as a horse that I was going to bet on next time out, basically regardless of the fact that the ground is likely to suit. Um, makes me even more confident. And of course, you then have the added benefit of having Frankie Dettori on board. And as it gets said, every Ascot, you know, there's no jockey you'd rather have on board and he will get you winners on horses that maybe wouldn't have won under any with any other jockey. So... You know he'll give it the very best chance it's got. And yeah, my nap is is first light. Yeah, I'll I'll be quick. I'm with you on it. I think it's I'm going the same bet. It I retract my nap. <laughs> <laughs> In that case. <laughs> uh, I would like uh, I could move that NAP to DOA. <laughs> I mean, this this race, we just talked about the last handicap being difficult. You have a race handicap here, about half the field is coming off a, a win. So it's really hard to to see with who's been handicapped harshly, who's been handicapped leniently. Uh, I think just first light is one of those ones that might be under the handicap right now. And Eddie was right. It won by, I mean, like a tractor trailer length. You know, it was like 15 ten, lengths, something ten, crazy. 10 lengths. Uh, 10 lengths. Yeah. Think, yeah. It was a really impressive win, and it's it's bred to go up to this distance as well. So I don't think the distance will be an issue. So I'm with you. Well, Sam, are you about to make me lose even more confidence in my nap? Wow. I love the lack of confidence in us as well. <laughs> it's No, it's not actually a lack of confidence in either of you in particular. It's just that I'm always concerned when we collectively have a very strong opinion. We're very good at identifying, making, you know, we know that we'll pick out several winners over the course of the day, but we often have winners where one of us disagrees with it. So part of me, when I have, when I really like a horse, I usually want one of you to oppose it for a reason. That actually makes me, there's no rhyme or reason to it, but that actually makes me more confident. Well, you should be confident because I haven't gone for first light. I've actually gone further down the market, Frank. Frank made the point about the handicapper, and I think Sir Lamarock, Lamarack is probably the maybe the best horse, but there is so much weight on it. Uh, it's at nine seven, and like you say, first light has gone up in weight, but it's still at eight eleven. Like they have really penalised Sir Lamarack, so I'm not sure. I think that's a bit too heavy. Um, the one I like the look of actually is um, Tashcan. Uh, down the market at about 11 to 1. It's been backed in, actually, so it started at around 18s, and it's gone into 11. Um, it's been really put up in the weights. Um, every time it's kind of... So the last three outings are win, second win, and every time it's gone up in the in the weights, and it's actually had another 11 pounds put on it, but it's running at 8.7 in this one. It's going back up to a mile four, where it won at... Um, so it had a second in a mile four, and the other two wins were at a mile two. But um, shouldn't be a problem at all. It runs well um, and it stays on well. So the extra couple of furlongs, no problem whatsoever. 
Um, the ground softening up will be absolutely fine for it. If anything, it prefers it. So the more it softens up, the better chance for that horse. I think it's a really, really solid bet, actually. And I really like the value at 11 to 1. So your nap is safe, Eddie. Good. The listeners can know then that it's going to win. And they can then roll their winnings over into the final race of the day where I'm also supremely confident in my selection. I would actually say that the two final races of the day, which is very unusual for me at Royal Ascot on any day out of the week, but the two final races are the ones in which I am most confident. And oh, here we this go. Is horse- this is a <laughs> what? Here we go. <laughs> are you going to be? You, go are ahead. you equally confident, Frank? Now it's the I horse am. that tops them. It's the horse that tops the market. It's Eldari. It's five to one. <laughs> the price is shortening. The price is shortening as we speak. But uh, it's a horse. It's a sort of soft ground specialist. Um, very impressive performances so far. One, you know, three out of four. As, who knows exactly how good everything that's running behind it is, but still fundamentally when you know that by the time this race happens, if the rain has continued to fall all day, which looks likely the ground could a be very cut up just because of the races, the previous races and B be that really getting towards soft ground, if not beyond that point. So for that reason, having a nice uh, soft ground specialist to rely on is uh, just what I want. So five to one, I mean, I'm just putting it out there for, you could do a five to one, five to one double, um, you know, and and have you could make your week in forty minutes. Oh, Eddie, 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 we are <laughs> either going to be really happy the end of day three, or you're going to be really mad at me because I'm also going Aldari. It's a course and distance winner at the same type of ground with a soft ground. So it's perfectly suited. Um, it lost its last race, but it was not a very good race. The other factor that you didn't mention is you have Jim Crowley on board, and he's also ridden one of the other higher-up favorites in Dania, if that's how you pronounce it, who a lot of people have tipped. And we've talked previously about this, that Jim Crowley is really good at judging horses. There's a few races that we've done at Ascot where he's had the pick of the horses and he's picked right more often than not. So the fact that he's choosing to side and ride Aldari gives me a little more confidence because that was my other selection was Dania. So I think for everything you've said and the fact that Crowley's thinks it's the top choice, I'm going to go with that. All right, Sam, you're on the spot again. Is it going to be a big, chill, clean sweep to end the day, or are you looking elsewhere? I, It's going to be a sweep. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, you look at the horse, though. It, all of its races have been won on softer ground or slower. Um, it's done until that Goodwood race that Frank mentioned. It is really easily mopped up three-year-olds to just run against like this is a seriously good horse as a three-year-old in this kind of race um the reappearance of goodwood the one where it lost it was fine it was just too far back and it didn't make the ground up but to be honest even though the race wasn't fantastic some there's been some smart winners from that race since it's come out so i don't mind that it's like running off a higher weight as a three-year-old i i really don't 
and yeah, I, I've got no problem kind of picking this one up. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, it, 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 we can all, uh, I will say last race of the day in Ascot's Pass, we've had good moments all being on the same horse. We've tended to try and finish the, on our literally day. like yes. we, we'd get on the horse as a threesome and ride <laughs> it to victory. <laughs> I don't maybe not as a threesome. I, I don't know why it's weird you saying that way. <laughs> Someone gets, someone Does the gets horse make it a foursome? <laughs> Could you not just Oh my god, it's bestiality now. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. But yeah. Now hopefully that and look, if nothing else, if we make that the big chill tip of the day, it can't be wrong until very late late in the afternoon. So we stay alive until people may have forgotten by then that we even tipped it up. And at, also, at least it means people listening, they've got plenty of time to listen to that tip before, you know, you might not be able to get through this 50 minutes before the first race, but you can definitely get it through it by the last race. Eddie, I'm really going to disappoint you because yesterday I put on a double of Trushan and Aldari, both at eight to one. <laughs> So, wow. I mean, I'm probably going to do that. I'll say now I want to do a Trushan Aldari double and a Trushan uh, uh, First Light double. Yeah. As soon as I saw it was going to rain, I knew their price would drop and they were both at eight to one, which now looking back is pretty good. Too bad I can't just cash out on my site. <laughs> or hedge. <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah well on that note hopefully we at least round the day off with a winner and we've picked a few others in over the course of the day any other topics or things you want to speak about before we wrap things up yeah good for me talk to you boys later see ya